Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelinos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights, on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River. All right, we're recording now. Okay. Cool. So this is Cotomo Hernandez. Uh, we're at, doing the Libros Schmibros podcast with renowned artist, uh, Shizu Saldamando. Uh, thank you for taking the time to, to talk to me today. Shizu, how, how are you doing today? Okay, thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to be a part of Libros Mibros. Cool. So let's just get straight to it. I, uh, you're really famous for your portraiture work. Um, and you, you, throughout your career, it's kind of slowly shifted because it's really personal. So it really kind of follows along your own your own life um early on your work focused on a lot like uh kind of like the punk rock scene like backyard shows and things like that and a lot of your newer work is is kind of focusing on your community of of artists that you've been working with um so so the way that you represent people why why did you choose portraiture or why do you think portraiture is such an effective medium to to tell the stories that you want to tell uh well I know when I was like really small I always would draw like really big heads and then I would like add tiny bodies so it was kind of like the same composition of these interviews it'd be like a big head and then like a little tiny body like this and that's how I would first draw anything like that was what like you, when you're a kid you just draw what you like so like my kid likes to draw wheels and round things. And like, I like to draw people when I was little, like I would draw like portraits of random heads. So for some reason that just stuck with me throughout the years. And I've always uh, gravitated towards like representational um, work, um, be it paper dolls or when I was like, you know, just starting out just the big heads. So um, it just made sense as I was like growing up um, I would see a lot of murals and I grew up like in the 80s and 90s with the Chicano um, art movement. So I would see a lot of figurative work, um, representational work, depicting communities and, and farm workers and activism. So that was my influence. And I was really lucky because I was um, grew up in the Mission District in San Francisco. And so I would see all these murals and I grew up around the street from uh, Studio 24. So there was always like a lot of art exposure. Um, from a young age. So I kind of saw that um, people just depicted what goes around them, um, part of their communities. And so when I started to do drawings, like take it seriously and actually um, go to art school, I just depicted friends. I just did portraits of my friends. And I wasn't interested in um, like any sort of like overarching like political statement with that about uh, representation or anything. It was just more um, yeah, just a depiction of who's in my life and who I appreciate it. And then I guess when I got, actually started to get into more like the theory um, and thinking about art, um, uh, I was at Self-Help Graphics. I did a, um, a Getty Multicultural Internship there when I was 18. So that was in the 1990, um, the late 90s. And I was exposed to all the artists that came through there. I did the, I labeled the slides. I was an archivist. And um, yeah, I just, I got to see like the thread of portraiture throughout 
she's gonna work. Um, and then I just always like to, to pick friends. So it was like a, a thread that just continued with me. Yeah. And your work is really intimate like that. I think that's kind of one way that a lot of people would describe it. it you mentioned you work a lot with, with friends and was that the intimacy, was that a response to traditional portraiture or was that just something that yeah, I've been like, some people, try to, they try to make like um, parallels between other artists, like, oh, do you think your work is like this or like that? And um, I think someone asked me if it was like Candy Wiley or something. And I was like, no, just because just because it's like a brown person or a black person, like that's depicted in portraiture. No, it was like, I think my work's more like, like in the vein of Alice Neal, who does, who would just like go to people's houses or have people come over and she just like, take, she just draw pictures of them, like in a very intimate um, fashion. And so I think that's, where I kind of gained um, inspiration from is just my other, my friends um, and seeing how they kind of constructed their own identities through their fashion or, or uh, music scenes. And that's what I was really into. And so I was like, I just want to draw this because this is what makes me happy going to these parties and partying out and listening to music and just recreating that. I think most artists do that. We just depict what turns us on or what we're into. Um, and that's the most honest thing you can do as an artist is just depict what you like um, or what you hate, I guess. <laughs> but uh, for me, I just thought it was a, a nice way to honor people that I admired and who I didn't see a lot represented in um, media. So. And the way that you choose your subjects uh, or how, or the way you represent your subjects, it's, you mentioned it's like your friends. It's like really candid portrayals of, of friends. And I really love how like, especially um, in, in your new book, The LA Intersections, mm -hmm. a lot of the the portraits, uh, the name is the subject themselves. So La Sandra, La Ever, La April. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Why, why is that like, why yeah. you have that decision? I think it's when you're doing a portrait, like I'm, I'm really thankful and very fortunate that people are generous enough to let me depict them. Cause I know like, especially in communities of color, there's a history of exploitation through portraiture. And it's always important to respect and honor um, and make sure that you're being respectful when you do depict somebody. So um, I just want people to know that that's an actual person and it's not like some character that I made up or something or, but it's actually like a person and there's content there and, and everybody that, that I've asked if I could do their portrait. Um, I think it's important that you know who the person is. That's like an added layer of content in the work, I think, because, you know, I'm like, I've done Sandra's portrait several times, um, and I did Alosa, and um, I think she's like a badass artist, and I totally admire her work. And so I think it's important to have an acknowledgement of who that person actually is that's in the, the piece. So people that do know her, um, we'll be like, oh yeah, that's Sandra. Or people that don't know her might want to like research further who that person might be. Um, I know I'm working with a gallery now, Charlie James Gallery, and I really appreciated the way he approached the work because he always wants to know who is this person? Can you write me a couple sentences about who they are? Because he recognizes the importance of who that person actually is in the work and how important it is to know who they are and what they're about. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of other galleries or curators that have like wanted that information. They kind of like more just about the aesthetics of the piece and not really that deep content that's within it. 
so um, I think that's why I always try to acknowledge the person and also sometimes the place like um, you know like seeing where it is like uh, Downey or Huntington Park or you know paying homage to the neighborhoods where people are from too so, or where the, the picture was taken that I um, used the work from. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like that's like really d deliberate. Like you're you're not just like parachuting into like a subculture or community. It's like really your lived experience, which is so refreshing. I know you've you mentioned like the you you don't want to exotify. I know you've referenced like you're you're not like Larry Clark, for example, like a photographer that takes right. pictures of you know youth and subcultures, and um, it's more like. It, yeah, when I was younger, I used to do that. I used to just like, when I was younger and in the scene, and if someone was really fucked up and drunk and passed out, I would like totally take their picture and be like, oh, I'm going to draw this shit later. But now that I'm older and I have like more of a career behind me, I got to be like way more respectful about that. And like, just the power dynamic is different. And I don't know how to do that anymore. You know, like you just have to adjust and reevaluate that because it is different. Like the, the more successful I get in more notoriety or, or um, I get as an artist, I have to be more careful because I want to be, I don't want to become that either. So it's tricky. And um, I don't know, that's why I think um, getting into tattooing has helped a lot too, because it's taken the pressure off of having that productivity schedule of having to constantly turn out new work and have more people agree to pose for me. So um, tattooing has been like a savior and also not, I don't have to worry too much. It's my day job, so I don't have to worry so much about um, selling as much I ever running nose. I hope I don't have sickness, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So I want to ask a little bit about the book you released. Uh, you did the exhibit LA Intersections with Occidental College. Yeah. Um, and in, in this book, you, um, you, you show a lot of artists, uh, a lot of people in the, in the artistic community in LA. Mm -hmm. um, and and that to me is so fascinating how like, it's not, it doesn't seem, at least in, in certain, in certain um, POC uh, artistic community here in LA, uh, it doesn't seem like it's really like too competitive. It's like really collaborative almost. Like, like a lot of people reference each other in their work. Like I know you've mentioned uh, Sandra de la Loza, you did a portrait of also Guadalupe Rosales. Um, so can you talk a little bit about why that POC art community is so tight-knit and, and why it's important to collaborate and communicate with each other's work? Yeah, um, I think as we've all, like a lot of us have been through the institution, um, so we know how hard it is. Like we, we kind of like are like, oh man, like it's, it's hard. Like if you got out of there and you're still doing it and you're making art and then it's just like you just want to help each other because you know that you've gone through like, just horrible like white supremacist like value systems and indoctrination through all the readings and discussions and critiques you had to do so if you made it out of there and you're still doing the work that you're doing um it's pretty i think it's commendable and i think we all see that within each other um even the people that haven't gone to the art school too it's like we we kind of just like damn you're doing it and you don't give a shit like you're just yeah you're like no fucks given i'm still gonna make my art i'm still gonna do it and that's amazing and i think all of us like you just want to support that like why would you not i think we understand too the power of representation and the power of having multiple voices um changing things and changing perspectives and decentering whiteness within the art community and we understand that if one of us wins, we all win. Like if we're all going, we're all gonna go. Like we're all gonna support each other and we're all gonna 
have each other's back and and yeah and we want to collaborate and learn I know I do like um just recently with this like new generation of artists that are kind of coming up like I'm so pumped and like amped for them and and just their what they're about and it's been a long time coming because this is so great to see these younger generations collaborating and doing work and and just creating some really amazing work and it's it's pretty amazing I, i'm really like pumped about it and so i get really excited when i see younger artists doing shit it makes me super happy <laughs> yeah it's it's really awesome to see even as like a non-artist like someone who's just like appreciating the work that there's like all these threads that kind of like you know connect the communities and well, even what you're doing now is part of that. Like, you're part of that community just by, like, your work with these podcasts or whatever you call them, you know? Like, it's, it's a part of that. Like, it's always, it's creating dialogue and creating an exposure to that community. So I would argue that it is, you know, it is, like, a big part of that, too. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. <laughs> um, so uh, can you ask, I mean, can I, can I share uh, the book a little bit? Uh, oh. You also... Uh, the type, the typology, or the, the typography of the book. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's, yeah, that's so also that an artist, right? Right. That's Jaime Munoz, who's an amazing artist, amazing painter. Um, I asked him to do the the lettering. Um, it's like his his like version of like the Tacos Mexico fonts, I guess, like the <laughs> <laughs> version of it, which is like I just love it. And I said, hey, can I use it for my book cover? So he just yeah, he just like he has the font. He actually, he made his own font his own program so he just like sent it over to me and then the other one my old book um that was done the font was done by um chato who i worked with at old number 13 so because i'm not really um a typographer or anything so i was asked asked people to do my my lettering for me so i was working at old number 13 tattoo on it um atlantic and beverly when that book came out the other book came out and so chato did the lettering for that one Hmm. And what's the significance be behind the name LA Intersections? So um, I think that there was a couple, like I'm always like I'm struggling with names for shows, especially I think my friend April came up with it. So she's, she actually is a professor, an art history professor at ELAC. You should take class with her through there. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, she wrote the forward, right? Yeah, she wrote the forward. So I think she came up with the title because I was like throwing around some, some titles for her. Um, but yeah, we just picked up intersections because it, it references not only like um, the physicality of actual like street intersections but also um, being intersectional um, also like there's a lot of different ways to approach and interpret the word intersection I think um, now we're actually working and embracing like these different um, isms but like in a positive like way that we can all kind of intersect with each other and support each other and realizing that our struggles are multiplicitous and intersectional and um and hopefully that's what the title kind of hopefully addresses and most of the people i mean every all the images were taken um somewhere in la pretty much so. mm -hmm. um cool so maybe uh we can Talk a little bit about um, LA uh, itself, uh, because you, you're from San Francisco, but you have history also in, in LA. Um, I wanted to ask you about a little bit about your family history, because you've mentioned uh, you've had uh, your, your Japanese side came before World War II, established themselves in, in Boyle Heights. Mm -hmm. And then you went, when you came back after college, you, uh, you worked uh, at Self-Help Graphics and 
you've also exhibited at, at the Vincent Price Art Museum. So did you, did you go to the east side to connect with your family history or did you just gravitate towards yeah. areas on your own? Definitely. Um, yeah, my uh, grandmother was born in Boyle Heights and my aunts and uncles were born in Boyle Heights at the Advent White Memorial back when it was the Adventist church, I guess, or they had like a little clinic or whatever back hmm. in the day, whatever it was there. Um, so they were all born there. And then the, and then I think she went back to Japan um, because of the depression and came and then met, came back and met my grandfather. So they set up, they set up their little grocery stand, I think in Bull Heights, but they were all born out there. And then when the war happened, they were all shipped off to Cantonita racetrack for however long. And then they were shipped off to Arkansas. So, um, when the camps ended, when they actually released the prisoner, the Japanese people from the prison camps, um, a lot of them couldn't go back to the West Coast because they still thought it was like espionage or something. So they had to move to Chicago because they had mutual friends that lived in Chicago. So they moved to Chicago for about 13 years. And then when my mom was 13, they moved back to LA, but they moved back to the Sawtelle area in mm -hmm. LA. There were the giant robot stores and stuff. And uh, my grandmother and my grandfather saved up enough. They opened up a greasy spoon in Chicago and then sold it. And then were able to um, build an apartment building, like a really small, I think it was like nine units. And they, they um, had that apartment building in Sautel area. And so my mom grew up there and she went to uni high. And um, then she met my dad in Eagle Rock. Um, he's, from, he's from Nogales, Sonora. And he moved out here, or, and then they moved up to the Bay Area. And then I was born in San Francisco, and none of my family lives up north. So, um, but my mom's family has always been in LA. So I just, when I got into UCLA Art School, well, I actually grew up in the Mission District, so I saw a Chicano art scene. Uh, my parents were activists, my dad's like a little Chicano dude. So like, he's all super like activist guy. And, <laughs> I was like, let's go to, let me go to UCLA, I need to get out of here, and I'll stay with my grandmother. Um, and then I was like really into art, going to the art school at UCLA, that's why I got in. I probably wouldn't have gotten in if I didn't get accepted to the art school. And I was missing, yeah, I was missing my neighborhood. Like, I grew up, I'm from the, I was like born and raised in the Mission in the 90s, and it was pretty rough. So when I got to Westwood, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, where am I? What is this place? So I was like, I got to find like my people because this is not it. So um, I was really lucky that I got an internship at self-help and I didn't know how to drive then. So I had to take the bus from UCLA to self-help graphics. Yeah. Um, and that was nice too. I got to like see the changing demographics of the bus ride. And um, then, yeah. And then I worked there for about five years after that. And then the, I went back to grad school and then I worked as an artist assistant for a while after grad school and then moved to East LA. Let's do the Montebello side though, because growing up in the mission, I was like, I don't need to be in the rough area <laughs> anymore. <laughs> like I'm, I'm good with living that suburban life. So moved to East Los, but closer to Montebello, I guess. So that's where I'm at now. But you do, you, you mentioned Sawtelle area and, and 
you also have uh, a piece at the at the metro station right there at the, yeah, at the yeah. um, expo line mm -hmm. so you, you can you talk a little bit about that work that you why you wanted to to represent that area or, or what did you want to express in that area right yeah so i originally thought i was going to be because they ask you to so when for doing any public art with metro with new stations they ask you to write to do a proposal for one one of the stations so i wrote a proposal um for i think it was the one on national and where the ex where um there's a post office right by Walt lumber where the like giant robots or olympic and um sepulveda kind of like around that area so um, I did a proposal of different people that I knew that were around that area. And like I had to do community service um, at UCLA for, for smoking weed. So I worked at, the, so I got to do my community service at Virginia Park and Rec. And that's like a really great place in the um, Pico District in West LA area. And I met um, Mari, who, Marisela, who, um, Isela Vargas, who was doing like a girls group there, like she had a bunch of younger women and they would go to museums and, you know, working with them um, was really great. And then um, one of my Chicana studies TAs, Elia Sedna, was, um, he's a filmmaker, but also a teacher, I think. I'm not sure if he taught, but he's, he's from around that area too. So just all the like people that I knew around the, that West Side area, um, I wanted to pay homage to them. So even when I did the work at, at uh, Vincent Price Museum, um, I did a portrait of Rafa Esparza because he was a, a alumni of ELAC. So it was important, like anytime I'm doing like an exhibition or whatever, to like have some sort of like site-specific portraits or, you know, people that are reflective of the area. So um, there's a, a portrait of April, April Day, who's a um, photographer um, and she changed her name. I think she got married recently. But she she did she actually had a studio around the corner um, from there from the actual metro station. So it's just about honoring people that were off that line, that whole line that went extended to the ocean, um, just to to reflect all the people that are from that area. So that's where those portraits came out of. And then there was like a homage to like the Brazilian scene, um, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu scene that happened happens on um, in in Palms. Um, Culver City area to trying to just honor the different um, people and communities that that are around the area I guess to be reflective of that because it's just like and I actually had to go to the city council it was like this little meeting for the city the Palms I don't know it was like a group of like 20 people inside this little office and I just had to explain what I was going to do for the port for the metro station and they asked me like what were the demographics like they were on it and I was like I totally respected that I'm like yes okay we have this, these are the demographics of who I'm doing portraits of, because I'm sure they get like a lot of people that want to do public art that's not even representative or reflective of anybody who lives around there. So I think I did okay because they're like, all right, okay, she gets it. And I, and, and I was able to, to move forth um, doing that. And, but public art is not really my thing because um, there's just a lot of stuff about politics in terms of tattoos and, and um, other things that they are kind of like really uh, kind of like sticklers for. So I don't know. And a lot of my work isn't, isn't, I don't know, like 
for the kids, I guess. Like, it's not like little elementary school kids. Like, I don't know. Stuff like that. No, it's perfect. I think it's perfect for people to see that, like, community represented, like, stuff that they wouldn't normally see on, on the bus, like, at advertisements and stuff like that. I, I saw the video that it's like a like a virtual reality thing or like a 360 right yeah that was and you can move around and see everything yeah yeah and then we had to go it was like those things are so cheap those okay it was great it was it's was cool to do but it was like nerve-wracking because you gotta be like oh hey you gotta be on like oh now we're walking towards this one and no, it was fun i mean you went you went to giant robot and you yeah. t- you touched on some of that history also because yeah, because that's also kind of like a like a little pocket also of like. You know. Oh right, and so she came out and did a like little little cameo mm-hmm. with her rep- representing the Oaxacan peoples that yeah. are in West West LA, which are a lot around there. So yeah, yeah, that cool. was nice. She did that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I have one more question that I, I do like a recurring question, and it actually goes really well because. Um, your work is in your book is called LA Intersections and right, right. So, I knew it was coming and I couldn't think of one I was like oh I wonder <laughs> what intersection I should say yeah so something you want to memorialize or maybe yeah something personal or maybe something that's part of LA history that's not really touched on or it could be really a whole street if, if that's easier for you but yeah I, okay so the Sawtelle area has always been like kind of close to my heart because that's where my grandma that my mom grew up and and my grandmother lived for so long um and just like the old like the Japanese community that was there for so long like that had have that legacy of being a part of the camps um I used to go to this uh Japanese community center there for Obon um it used to so I used to I used to go I'm not sure where exactly it is because I was smaller like what street um, but I used to live on Ohio and um, Santa Monica for a very long time around there. This music, there was a music store right on the corner, and that's where I lived for about 15 years um, when I moved from San Francisco first. But I would take the bus off of uh, Santa Monica and Plateau, and that's where I would catch the, I think it was the, the blue bus, it was a seven, I believe. It was seven, oh gosh. And then it would take me to the bus station um, in Mid-City. We passed by Roscoe's, we passed through um, all those areas. And then I would get off the bus and then take this other one because it was the end of the line for that blue bus. And then I would take another one that would take me to Union Station. And then I would catch a 68 to self-help and I would always so I guess like Sautel and or Sautel and Santa Monica was a big intersection for me a lot of accidents happened New York theater was there do she stop there was this other there was this uh, restaurant there before there's a 7-Eleven was open all the time um the veterans would hang out there because the veteran the veteran health hospital was right there so they'd be hanging out I would be driving home and they'd be sitting on the bench singing like born in East born no born in the USA one time I was driving home and they were all sitting on the bench in front of 7-Eleven singing Morning the USA. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it was like, and then you'd go down the street and it'd be like this Japanese area of all the markets and things. Um, yeah, I guess that, that's, that's always been a, 
it's not my favorite intersection. I don't know. I think it's like anything in LA or it's like bittersweet. Like there's things you just love about it. Um, things you don't love, but that's what makes it great. That's what makes people great is that it's not, it doesn't, we don't exist on a binary ever. Mm -hmm. And some of the dark stuff is what makes you more beautiful as a person, I think. Um, but no, that's a super interesting area, like Sawtell and that community, because it is really unique, like, especially like you mentioned that Japanese community there. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of Buddhists, like my um, grandmother would go to the, the Buddhist temple there, and we played bingo for old one. Um, yeah, so. That definitely needs to be memorialized, yeah, like, somehow. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's changing a lot, and you have a lot of like foreign investors now coming in with like amazing food but yeah it's just really no it's just a superficial connection um now but yeah it's it's become it's become kind of i don't know now i haven't been in a while like not in years because it's too far to drive out there anymore um, yeah. But yeah there's a lot of there's so many intersections too that are like that like atlantic and beverly is another one now that i've always hung out at because of work and then yeah, I live really close to there, actually. I live by Atlantic and Whittier, so, and I go yeah. to life, so I'm always there. Yeah, that's a great one, too. That's, like, the, that CVS theater right there. Yeah. The CVS theater is yeah. crazy. It's a beautiful building, yeah. It sucks that it's a CVS, but. I know, but at least they didn't tear it all down. I mean, like, maybe yeah. one day it'll become something else. Yeah. No, that's. You know, the Planned Parenthood is a couple doors down from there. Yeah, I'm, like, down the block, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I walked, I walked from there, I walked home from Planned Parenthood a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I have health insurance. So. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you for sharing the stories, and yeah, I'm really excited um, for all the work that you have coming up. Um, what What's your next uh, exhibit that that you're working on? Yeah, I was supposed to. So in October, I was supposed to have a two person show with Esther Hernandez, um, who's an amazing uh, Chicano artist from San Francisco. She's an amazing muralist. Um, she's just such a badass. So I was like super stoked that we were going to do our two-person show, um, but in light of recent events, um, it's being pushed back. So I'm not. I'm kind of relieved too because uh, this period has off has given me time to not be on that crazy production schedule of like just making work, making work, making work without any sort of thought. Just keep producing. So it's it's allowed me to spend more time with my son and uh, reflect on things. But at the same time, it's like I feel kind of weird too. Like I'm regressing to like my college days where I just play video games all day and do whatever. So, um, yeah, that's, that's and that was going to be at, that was going to be at the national portraiture gallery. Not, no, the national, um, uh, Mexican museum. In oh, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're going to go to Chicago, but, um, Yes, there was a printmaking show that me and Estetta were supposed to be in too that was going to be at the Smithsonian. I think it was like Chicano printmaking or something like that. Um, but I don't, I think, I don't know what's going on with that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like, I think there's, I, you know, there's, there's other little shows that I'm probably not going to do because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to spend some time with my kid and just, it's just impossible to do any work. Um, mm-hmm being the mom most of the kids my husband has actually like a like a job with um like a regular paycheck so we're just like yeah just do that I'll stay home with the kid for now and then when we're if we ever get out of this then I could start uh I'll go back to preschool and then I can get some work done in 
to do stuff again. So hopefully that'll be good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... What are you guys doing for your hours for Libros Are you guys, how are you guys functioning? Uh, so right now we're only doing curbside pickup. Okay. Yeah, so we have our catalog online um, and people could browse through that and send us an email or message on Instagram or Facebook. Um, yeah, but we're hopefully, we want to open up again maybe like in October, we're thinking about it. I mean, we're just following the news and trying to figure it out, but um, yeah, most likely we'll be, we'll be opening again in a couple of months. Oh, cool. Yeah. And you guys can rent the books to see the catalogs we're talking about, the, the older one from Vincent Price and the newer one, if you guys yeah. want to see it. Also, there's a couple copies for sale at the Lackland Bookstore online. I think there's, I think they have about like four copies there if you want to, someone wants to buy them. Or you could just like contact Charlie James Gallery, or if we're friends on like Instagram or something, you can like DM me and I'll, we could sell, I could sell them to you that way too. Yeah, they're beautiful books. They're like really well crafted and yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate, you know, I, I know it's kind of stressful sometimes doing Zoom, Zoom calls all the time, but. Yeah, it's like, it's like can we just do audio? Because then I have to like wash my hair. And <laughs> it's okay, I have to get, it's like once in a while that I do this, so. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I had to put hair gel on and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I'm like, oh, you gotta put on makeup, okay. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I hope hopefully you have a great rest of your day. And you too. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, we really appreciate your donations too. Uh, you donated oh, a few books, and yeah. So if anybody's interested, uh, yeah, we could let people borrow some books also. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we do that. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, um, enjoy enjoy the rest of your day. You Thank too. you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So ends another episode of Libro Schmibros, recorded at the bilingual nonprofit Libro Schmibros Lending Library in Boyle Heights. By all means, follow us online in all the old familiar places or email us via info at libroschmibros.org. By the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Quatemoc, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting libroschmibros.org hitting the donut button, <laughs> the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you, and thousands more to borrow here at Libros Schmibros. <laughs>